outside my household. Monday morning. Well, Grant, he's right. It wasn't my household. I live in the apartment tenement. I said what? No, you just said household rather than just your house, you know? A choice of words, and he's right. But I say household because it has a bit of a punch. I hope you guys hear it, a bit of a punch. Household. There was a shooting outside of my household. Monday morning. And what a beautiful shooting it was, ladies and gentlemen! It had dimension like a symphony! Not to be compared with the shootings of earlier this calendar year! No! This one was a symphony! yourself. Nothing like too depressing about it, but just do you ever just get on your own goddamn nerves? 
Because you're fucking with yourself 24-7. Seven days a week. You're in your, your own fucking head. All the time. I'm just fucking annoyed by myself. Don't worry, ladies and gentlemen. I'm not going to jump off a building or anything like that. Nothing that drastic. I just get fucking annoyed with like my own fucking problems all the time. fucking health guest, you know? There's like a different part of me that's always like when I'm fucked up and drunk and high. It's like a different person that's just like in my life, in my head. Like it's almost like I don't even recognize it sometimes, you know? You wake up and like, who the fuck is this in my fucking head? Doing stupid shit, causing me to act like a fucking moron. Who is that? Why is he always in there? Fucking shut up when things are going right. Who is that?
Last sphincter says what? What? It's your old chuckle buddy. Guess who? Jonathan James Ramtran. Reporting live for duty on this magnificent August 14th in the year of our Lord, 2019. Welcome and bienvenue to Jonathan Ramtran, the podcast. Get your shoes shined up, boy. Boy, ooh, I'm gonna run you ragged, boy. I was up since 2 a.m. this morning, boy. It's 6. It's 6, 11 in the p.m., boy. I'm gonna run you ragged, boy. Gonna make you sweat. Gonna make you earn every drop. Today, boy. I wanna see nothing but assholes and elbows, boy. Fetch my riding crop, boy. If you're new to the show... Jonathan Ramtran, the podcast. I am an actor extraordinaire. 18 years of experience. Diploma in theater arts. The soul of a butterfly. The heart of a lion. The tears of a clown. Loving it. 18 years deep in this bitch and I'm still in love. Um, You know, I'm not going to say. Sometimes I just want to pack it all in and, you know, call the lawyer. You know, this, this marriage is fucking done. Help me salvage what's left of the crumbs of my life. But I hang in for the love. For the love of the motherfucking thing. You know what I mean? As I mentioned, I work today. You know, I have a full-time job. I'm going to get to that. But, you know, that's just the life of an actor. You got to struggle, grind it out. You know, do what you can. Do it for the love, you know. I was up at 2 o'clock in the morning this morning. You know, trying to record this motherfucking thing. It just wasn't happening. I wasn't feeling it. Then I went and I worked my day job, came directly back home, back on the grind. Hallelujah. Nobody asked me to do this. So while I'm on my hustle, I always got to find ways to sound and feel and be inspired. Right? I got to find that shit in a dark, <laughs> in a dark abyss of, um, of my performing life. I got to find the light. And something I do to keep myself like alive and positive is um, I study, I train, I seek information on my craft as an actor. And one thing I'm doing right now is um, I'm taking it back to basics. Well, not even basics. I'm just taking it to the woodshed and reading up on some uh, skills, some trade work in the art of acting. So here's uh, two books that I'm reading right now to fill y'all motherfuckers in. I'm reading this very interesting book right now called The Art of Pantomime by Charles Aubert. Now I'm going to read you a little blurb from the back of the uh, book. Among the oldest theater arts, pantomime, figured prominently in Greek and Elizabethan drama, appeared in French and Italian Commedia dell'arte theatricals and surfaced more recently in burlesque, vaudeville, and musical comedy reviews. The author of this book is a French veteran acting instructor, asserting that the best way to perfect dramatic work is to play pantomimes. In this volume, he presents a well-illustrated analysis of pantomimes' extensive variety of emotional expressions attainable through attitude and gesture. Blah, blah, blah. The main thing being, in that uh, little blurb, the main thing being, pantomime's extensive variety of emotional expressions attainable through attitude and gesture. 
gesture, you know, like physicality, right? So this is a book on the physical nature of acting, right? Uh, mime being short for pantomime. If you've ever seen one of those bozos, you know, with their faces painted up, pretending like they're in a box. They're pretending like they're in a box and they're performing on a street curb. You know, like a mime, right? So that's like, you know, physicality in acting, right? And this book is a wellspring of that, right? There's all these different, like, uh, diagrams, people making faces, making gestures with their body, being expressive. And that's what acting is, telling a story with your body, your mind, your soul, your ball sack, right? So there you have it. The Art of Pantomime by Charles Aubert. Another book I'm reading at the moment as well is Respect for Acting by Uta Hagen. Hagen das? Hagen who is that? Who is that, y'all? Let me tell you, y'all. <clears throat> so here's a little blurb uh, from the book. Legendary actress and teacher Uta Hagen knew that an actor's finest work was often achieved for love rather than for money. Preach on, sister. She lived this philosophy alongside her husband, Herbert Berghoff, at HB Studio, their acting school in New York. It was there that they created a workplace and spiritual home for actors such as Robert De Niro, Jack Lemmon, Anne Bancroft, and Bette Midler. Respect for acting is Hagen's blueprint for the actor, her design for enlightened stage acting. This classic book has helped generations of actors hone their craft, and its advice is as useful now as it was when it was first published. There you have it, Uta Hagen, Respect for Acting. This is another treasure trove for the actor. Um, as I read to you there, she's a wellspring of knowledge in the field of acting. She's very and highly respected by her um, peers, Robert De Niro, the late and great Jack Lemmon, Anne Bancroft, uh, Bette Midler. So, you know, this is a book that um, is a treat, a delight for the actor to read because um, it's just very insightful and challenging. And um, that's the crux of what I'm trying to do as a performer, be interesting and to challenge myself. Hallelujah. Jonathan Ramcharan, actor. I am also a janitor. Yeah, like I mentioned, a day job. Uh, you know, janitorial services, right? You know, sweeping, dusting, mopping, scraping toilets, you know, cleaning up vomit, changing paper towels, toilet paper. Yeah, so what? I'm a janitor, huh? So what, huh? You wouldn't date a janitor, huh? Too grimy for you, huh? Too dirty for you, huh? Your mother thought you could do better than me, didn't she, huh? Didn't she? You want the American dream, don't you, honey? Huh? Four-car garage? PlayStation in every room? That's what you want, isn't it? Isn't it? No, Jonathan, no. I'm in love with you. You're delusional. I never said anything about that. I love janitors. I think they're sexy. Jonathan, stop it. Not you lying bitch, you deceiving whore. Yeah, I'm a janitor. Uh, no chip on my shoulder about it at all. Um, I love it. It does two things. Number one, it facilitates my uh, performing, you know? I got to uh, obviously perform as an actor, and uh, that requires money. And, uh, you know, so be it. You got to pay for your overhead. You got to pay for this and that, X, Y, and Z. It's water off a duck's ass. Quack. 
It's reality. And number two, um, it facilitates my recovery because I am also an alcoholic. Yes, two years, nine months of sobriety. If you should need sobriety in your life, ladies and gentlemen, please go out, seek it out, give it a shot. What I did was I joined a 12-step program. That's nothing official. That's something that um, you can attend at your own will. Nobody's interested in your opinions or beliefs. Sorry, rather your beliefs. Everybody's interested in your opinion. It's there to be a community engaging service, right? So people do care and they're there to be um, interested in you and you in them. And together you're a part of a community that's working to better themselves in sobriety, practicing steps of sobriety. And day by day, those days add up, and then boom, one day you'll find yourself in a new place in your life. Sober, happy, fully realized, a chance to reconnect with who you really are. I try to emphasize that all the time because... um, As an alcoholic, as a person who's had substance problems, smoking marijuana, dabbling in other shit, uh, nothing too serious, but mainly on my on my side, it's been alcohol and marijuana, you know, tobacco, and uh, you know, but basically, a person like myself and anybody struggling with uh, substance issues, uh, there's obviously a lot of pain, a lot of regret, a lot of guilt, turmoil. And I'm trying to tell you, it doesn't have to be that way. Well, it's going to be a little bit like that. You know, you're going to be embarrassed. You have to, you're going to have to, like, you know, <laughs> take responsibility for some of the dumb, stupid, stupidity things you did when you were just out there. When you're out there drunk and high, you're going to have to take responsibility. But, you know, it's also a new kick at the cat. You know, a new opportunity for you to, like I said, find the fully realized version of yourself right? Hallelujah. And that's what I mean by my janitorial hustle. My janitorial hustle facilitates my recovery because idle hands are the devil's playground. (laughs) So when you're sitting around twiddling your thumbs, twiddly D, that's when the anxiety, the restlessness, the grass looks greener on the other side syndrome kicks in, right? There's a baby screaming. I don't know if you can hear that. But, um, next door neighbor but that's when all the uh you know i got ants in my pants and i need to dance so come find mama come give me a chance that's when all that ants in my pants and i need to dance kind of shit goes down right you know you get fidgety and you know bugs are crawling on you and you start getting ideas and shit right well having a janitorial hustle helps me stay focused in my recovery because you know It gives me something to do on a daily basis to provide an income, which keeps me on the straight and narrow in my sober life. And that also feeds my acting career. So there you have it. Alcoholic. And last of all, I am a stand-up comedian extraordinaire. Yes, I'm on the precipice of a very interesting step in my career as a stand-up comedian. I'm 10 years in the game. I have worked professionally. I have fucked up a lot and have been on the outskirts as well. 
arguably at the moment. <laughs> and um, that's just the trajectory of my comedy career. One thing I can say is that I do a great job up there. I have fun up there. I fuck up up there. But it's a place that I feel I belong. And I have the interest to continue on trying to be a comedian. That's all I can do is try. And I'm on the precipice of a very interesting moment in my career. Um, I no longer will be doing open mics. I will no longer be doing open... I will no longer... See, look, they're going to miss me already. What? That stuttering idiot? He's not coming back? For the foreseeable future, I will not be doing open mics. You know? This is not coming from a place of entitlement. It's coming from a place of experience. As I said, 10 years in the game... I have worked periodically as a professional comedian. I've done a lot of different types of independent gigs. I've hosted and produced shows of my own, Our Righteous Mike. Some of y'all listeners to Jonathan Ramchand, the podcast, are aware of that. I've produced a show of my own, Our Righteous Mike, in downtown Toronto. That at the moment is on hiatus. I really don't know what's going on there. I haven't really fully decided the next step in that direction. But for the moment, how I'm feeling is open mics in general, no longer. Now, what is an open mic? An open mic, for all y'all that don't know, it's basically in the comedy world. It's an open stage for a comedian to go on and try new material. Low pressure, barroom gig, hit and miss. It's vastly a shit show. It's wildly a pain in the ass. Like, it's usually some dingy bar, no audience members, a bunch of disgruntled comedians. It's usually a shit show. But what it is, is a gym, a training ground for jokes, a place to go try out your material. Now, I've been fucking slanging that shit for years now. And I'm at the point right now where nothing changes if nothing changes. I need to take that risk and say, hey, you know what? I've done this, been there, done that. Kind of need to move on. Kind of need to be in a different direction. It's not about entitlement. It's about experience. In my heart of heart, I just don't want to do those type of gigs anymore. And to be honest with you, that's wildly, wildly, widely what I am being... uh, Shown at the moment. That's widely what I'm being showed at. I got tripped up on that word there. That's basically what I'm being showed right now. Shown right now is these open mics. There's just too many, too hungry. Nobody's really trying to work together. It's kind of clicky. It's this, that, and the other. Blah, blah, blah. Who fucking cares? I don't give a boom, your blood clot, your boom, clot. Don't give a blood clot, boom, clot. Fuck. Right? I don't got time to sit around and question this shit. In my heart of heart, I'm just sick of doing them and something needs to change. So, you know, I'm taking that risk. I'm jumping out of the nest and I'm going to be, uh, you know, holding myself accountable. That's why I'm mentioning it here. Got to hold myself accountable, meaning I got to continue with the writing. I got to continue with the, uh, with uh, trying to produce 
my own shows, like Our Righteous Mic, but at the moment, I just cannot be um, doing open mics anymore. Just in my heart of heart, I know it's just time to take a break. For the foreseeable future, right? This isn't goodbye. It's see you later. You know what I mean? Smell you later. Because I would like to come back to open mics in the future. It's not like I'm saying I'm above open mics. Just at the moment, I desperately need a change. So I'm putting it out there. I'm trying different things. Happy hallelujah, new horizons. So there you have it. That sums me up at the moment. Jonathan Ramcharan, actor, alcoholic, janitor, stand-up comedian. So, welcome to the show. Yeah. Feeling pretty good, you know. Um been a bit of a weight off my shoulder there, you know, because sometimes you get in a little bit of a rut, you're getting a little too familiar with things, and you just need to shake it up, take that risk, jump out of the nest, you know, be a fucking bird, fly, pelican, you know. Jeffrey Epstein, let's get this out of the way, Jeffrey Epstein, well, he got himself out of the way, Jeffrey Epstein. This is being heralded as pretty big news in our day and age. There's a lot of different thoughts on the matter. Obviously, this is a very high-reaching story. Jeffrey Epstein, the financier from New York. Uh, Powerful, high-profile friends. Donald Trump, Bill Clinton, Prince Andrew of merry old England. (laughs) High-reaching individual. Convicted sex offender. Um, Government conspiracy. There's a lot of different thoughts on this matter. I have this very interesting article. Um, It's more more of a summation, a summary of the whole Jeffrey Epstein scenario, for the most part, at the moment. So I'll read it for you now here, just to have a little bit of background to uh, discuss. So this is from townandcountrymag.com. The article is, What We Know So Far About Jeffrey Epstein's Sex Trafficking Case, by Caroline Haleman. So these are just some little bullets off the top. Financier Jeffrey Epstein was arrested in July 2019 on charges of sex trafficking and conspiracy to engage in sex trafficking. He was denied bail ahead of his trial. Multiple media outlets have confirmed that Epstein died by apparent suicide while in jail, and his death is being investigated by the FBI. Epstein was convicted, was a convicted sex offender, who previously served 13 months in a Palm Beach County jail after pleading guilty to two prostitution-related charges, a plea deal that has been heavily criticized. He had a high-profile social circle, and his former associates include Bill Clinton, Donald Trump, and Queen Elizabeth's son, Prince Andrew. On July 8th, Federal prosecutors charged financier Jeffrey Epstein 
with one count of sex trafficking of a minor and one count of conspiracy to commit a sex trafficking, to commit sex trafficking. Per the indictment, over the course of many years, Jeffrey Epstein, the defendant, sexually exploited and abused dozens of minor girls at his homes in Manhattan, New York, and Palm Beach, Florida, among other locations. The document also noted that, in order to maintain and increase his supply of victims, Epstein also paid certain of these victims to recruit additional girls to be similarly abused. The prosecution, the prosecution alleged that he sexually assaulted girls as young as 14 years old. Following the indictment, Epstein pleaded not guilty on both charges, and on August 10th, several media outlets confirmed that Epstein had died by apparent suicide in jail, citing law enforcement sources. His death is currently under investigation. Yes. Who was Epstein? Epstein started his career in New York City as a math teacher at the elite Dalton School, but in the 1970s he went to work at the investment bank Bear Stearns before founding his own firm, J. Epstein & Co., in 1982. According to Vox, he specifically marketed his services to those with assets worth more than $1 billion and operates his company out of the U.S. Virgin Islands for tax reasons. While Epstein appeared to be wealthy, living in a massive townhouse and, living large, and giving large sums of money to a wide variety of causes, the source of his money was obscure. He has been widely called a billionaire, but Forbes disputes that claim, saying that he was more likely worth a fraction of that. In 2008, Epstein pleaded guilty to a felony charge of solicitation of prostitution involving a minor and was sentenced to 18 months in prison. He served 13 and was granted work release, which allowed him to commute to an office outside the jail six days a week. He also registered as a sex offender. So... That, in a nutshell, was Jeffrey Epstein. Some people believe that uh, it's a total conspiracy, that he's not dead. They spirited him away. He's off on an island somewhere, back on his pedophile island, or wherever the fuck, beamed up to space somewhere. Like, And this is high-reaching stuff, I mean... He was pally-pally with the current president of the United States, a previous president of the United States, and a prince, a fucking English... Oh, fish and chips there, mate. Like, a fucking prince of England. You know? The queen's son. He was out gallivanting around as a registered sex offender with Prince Andrew. I mean, he was a known sex offender when pictures of him hanging out in Central Park and being in contact with the prince of, I don't know what he is. He's one of like, he's like a low-level prince. He's not like Prince Charles. He's like the second son or whatever, the unloved one. (laughs) And, uh, you know, he looks just like his mother, too. Beady eyes and sunken jowls. And, 
You know, it's just a very, very momentous time, momentous story. Like, uh, well, maybe not momentous, but um, it's a very uh, meaningful story. Meaningful? No, that's not even it either. Well, I guess it's meaningful. It's momentous. It's, it's, it's a very pivotal story in a lot of people's minds because, I mean, this is the type of shit that's like gonna be a historical fucking, you know, reach back. You know, like this is like JFK level type of like conspiracy shit. People are like, what the fuck is going on here? I mean, there's so many things surrounding the whole Trump administration. That's a larger story that I don't really want to get into, but it's connected. You know what I mean? It's like obviously connected. And, you know, he conveniently commits suicide on the eve of, uh, well, not quite the eve. Uh, I guess the court trial, the criminal trial was scheduled for um, June of next year. But all these documents that were going to be disclosed where he has such damning, incriminating, uh, there's such damning, incriminating evidence against him. If for him to take the witness stand and divulge some of the fucking cobwebs in his closet, some of the fucking stories that he can spin up on that witness stand, you know, some people are saying it was a hit. Some people said that, you know, there's the powers that be that wanted him dead. And for good reason, who knows what the fuck he was going to say? Who knows what he was going to let loose? Get loose better than Mother Goose. Rock the mic day and night, you know? Spilling his tales of pedophilia (laughs) amongst the, uh, you know, wealthy and powerful. So, what the fuck? And, um, yeah. I don't know what quite to think of it, you know. All I can think of, though, during this time when everyone's saying, like, um, you know, this is a pivotal moment, this is a red pill moment. A lot of people are saying that, um, you know, this is kind of like the... When I say a lot of people, I mean just basically... Everyone's talking about it, man. I was sitting at a coffee shop having a coffee. I overheard a dude talking about it. It's all over the internet. It's it's kind of big news, maybe in North America. Maybe I shouldn't be sens- sensationalizing this as large as it is. But um, a lot of people are talking about it. It has far-reaching implications. It, involve, it even involves royalty. And all I can really say is that it's like history repeating itself in a lot of ways because people are comparing it to like some of the JFK uh, conspiracies, like what the fuck really happened there? Well, one thing I'm noticing how history repeats itself is we're at an age now where just like the JFK administration, you know, people have the, the eyeglasses and the haircuts of the exact same time period. You ever notice that? Everybody's got horn rim glasses now and these dippity do haircuts. It almost looks exactly like the times with the same uh, conspiracies and the same fucking underbelly of evil. So, hey, 
and the water is pretty muddy because if you read some of this stuff online, it's like there's it's it's meant to be discombobulating. It's meant to be discombobulating, disorientating. It's just kind of like it's just like spinning. It's like whoa! It's like a real fucking rabbit hole, and. That's why it's kind of scary, and that's why it's kind of a momentous, meaningful, pivotal moment in our time. Food for thought um, to be continued. What's going on with me at the moment? Well, um, hey, like I said, kind of reeling from some of this kind of you know, 2019 chaos, you might want to put it. (laughs) I mean, just kind of like, you know, every time you turn around, there's a government conspiracy, a government cover-up. Oh, a shooting, another mass shooting. Oh, some crazy drug bust, sex trafficking. Uh, It's just like a world in chaos. And, um... And then on the periphery, being of a North American, uh, to be as a North American, on the periphery is all the pain and turmoil of these underdeveloped nations. Like, who knows what in the fuck is really going on in those places where they're really suffering, right? So, I don't know. But, like, in the midst of all this, you know, I'm just trying to do what I do, do my stand-up, keep myself sober, um work on the acting, scrub a toilet, you know, you know, shit like that, just keeping it real, Um, you know, uh, and just, you know, reflecting, reflecting on the next step in my life, and part of moving past, uh, as I mentioned there, some of the comedy situations, um, Moving past, you know, gigs that I don't really want to do and trying to work myself up to better gigs. Um, I'm thinking about some of my past uh, efforts. And as you heard off the top there, I used to be a rock star. Yes. That was a uh, couple tracks, couple recordings. Um from a little project I used to be involved in, Primal Gruntings. Now, Primal Gruntings was a, uh, a little dynamic duo consisting of my good friend Adam Lewis on the drum kit, on the skins, a brilliant uh, drummer from the UK, a Welshman. Um, to this day, you know, he always inspires me listening to some of these recordings. I hadn't listened to them in a few years. Um, you know, he always just inspires, he always did and still does inspire me to be a better musician. I mean, I'm a, I'm, I'm a hobbyist. He's a musician. I'm a hobbyist, right? Like I play bass guitar as my hobby, but you know, he's a real deal drummer. And, um, it was just such a, such a good experience, um, doing those recordings with him. What we would do was we would just get together, you know, have a few drinks, smoke a little wacky tobacco, 
I'm not white. I was smoking ganja man. And, uh, you know, we just get trashed <laughs> and then just jam and vibe out to these uh, ideas that we had. You know, we had the idea of making something sort of like in the vein of spoken word, dub, um, you know, performance art. And uh, we just kind of went all out, you know. He would just, the whole idea was basically he does whatever the fuck he wants on the drums. I do whatever the fuck uh, with the comedy and the uh, the microphone. And, uh, you know, it was a really, you know, a real passion project that we worked on in 2013. We did it for about um, eight months. We'd get together um, very consistently, like about two times a week, and we'd just rehearse, and we'd be, you know, you know, cracking beers, smoking weed, you know, smoking cigarettes, and then we just record and just fly off the handle, right? And, you know, it was a great experience. Um, and during that time, too, I was also moonlighting uh, as a comic, you know, as usual, like, you know, I'm a comic. So, you know, I was going out doing my stand-up, uh, a lot of independent gigs. Uh, I was fairly new back in Toronto at that time, you know, so um, I was really just trying to get involved in the scene. I was trying to do whatever I could with the acting. Um, and it was just, it felt like a very creative time for me. And um, it's kind of like that movie... Um, if you've ever seen the movie um, Crazy Heart, starring Jeff Bridges, it's a great film on alcoholism. It's a great film on music. It's a great film on redemption. Uh, it's a great film on soul searching. It's a great film. Crazy Heart with Jeff Bridges, Maggie Gyllenhaal, uh, Colin Farrell, it's a great film, and anyways, it's about a washed up uh, country singer, and one of his greatest hits was, um, you know, he's a washed up drunk, he's a fucking down and out kind of fuck up uh, country singer, and one of his big songs was, uh, one of the lyrics was, ain't it funny how falling feels like flying for a little while? Ain't it funny how fallen feels like flying for a little while? And that's what I can recall from those times, man. Fallen felt like flying, you know? Like, I'm, I'm in primal gruntings. I'm doing my little comedy, you know? I'm, like, late 20s. I'm, like, 27. I'm feeling kind of creative, real dangerous, real fucking, you know, don't fucking push me because I'm close to the edge. I'm trying not to lose my head. <laughs> it's like a jungle sometimes. It makes me wonder how I keep from going under. I just kind of felt up against the wall, um, just fucking raw. And falling was feeling like flying. You know, I was really tapping into that dark side, man. I was drinking, getting blackout drunk every night, smoking weed, cigarettes. And it was just on a collision course. And... Um, you know, it came to a point with Primal Gruntings 
Adam had uh, some personal stuff he had to take care of. And I was upset the way it ended. And that's purely on my part. You know, I take ownership for my behavior. I'm a recovered man. Well, I'm a man in recovery. Two years, nine months sober. I make no excuses. My behavior was very poor. I, you know, I said some things. And I was upset. It was like the straw that broke the camel's back. Because up until that point, I had, you know, I had gone through theater school. I had gone through comedy boot camp. I guess I was a stand-up comic for about, uh, I guess, five years at that point. So I went through boot camp, you know, the early open mic days, which, ironically, I'm still in. <laughs> you heard me griping about that earlier. You know, I, I'd done a bunch of open mics. I'd worked semi-pro as a comic. I had a diploma in theater arts. I had moved across the country, right? I had lived in Edmonton, Alberta. Now I'm in Toronto, um, I had really put my ass on the line for this performing career. And, you know, I felt like independence, the independent route was my ticket. And, you know, this primal grunting thing seemed very fresh and new and it felt like it could work. And, you know, taking it out live to the clubs, that's what I thought was the next step. Something different, something to call attention. And when it ended, the way it ended, I was upset because it was like the straw that broke the camel's back. Like I said, I had um, collaborated with so many people in my time. I've been a part of sketch comedy troupes. I've been involved with people trying to produce uh, their own theater, their own film. I've collaborated with people over time, and it always happens the same way. Not always, but in my case, it's like people just... They, you know, for whatever reason, they don't stay on point. Life gets in the way and they kind of put the project on the back burner. And, you know, in my opinion, you should never put your art on the back burner. It should always be on the forefront. And, you know, that's my own opinion. That's my own judgment. That's my own will. That's my own will and desire. And it was the straw that broke the camel's back when Adam had to go and do his own stuff. I didn't like the way it ended. And, you know, we wound up having words, very passive-aggressively, actually, through text message. I texted him some bitchy shit when I was drunk or something. And, you know, fuck you, whatever, buddy. Da, da, da. And, you know, it was kind of like a decline of the friendship. And, um, you know, I totally see how the Beatles broke up. <laughs> yeah, Primal Gruntings was exactly like the Beatles. We were on that level, yeah. But, like, no, I totally see how, like, these big bands break up, man. There's, like, stress, egos clashing, people want different things, blah, 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 da, 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 you know. And... In hindsight, what I really should have done was just take it as it was and um, just move past it because, you know, it was just a fun experience. And at the end of the day, I don't for like you can't force a hand, right? It's either 
it's yay or nay when it comes to people. They either want to do something or they don't. And that's just the way it is. And um, I was just on the descent in my alcoholism. I was on the descent in my self-pitying woe. And it all just kind of came to a head, you know? I may not be a camel, but that was the straw that broke the camel's back, so to speak. And uh, that's what it was. Um, but, you know, I could say today, two years, nine months sober, I'm accountable. Um, hopefully, at one point, um, I'll reach out to Adam, make that amend, say sorry, you know. Um, I believe it's something that we could get past. Um, and, you know, I'm just grateful that I had that experience making those fun little recordings with him. And I learned so much from him. Like, at, to this day now, like, he's still, like, going back and listening to some of these recordings for this podcast. Very inspiring drummer, man. He just was, just is a really good uh, fucking, uh, he's really good on the traps, man. That's all I can say. Oh, yeah. And I got to give a shout out to my boy, Nathan Evergreen. Yes, he's an artist hailing out of Vancouver, Canada. And he's the genius behind some of the artwork for, well, behind the artwork for Primal Gruntings. You can see that on my website, jonathan-ramtran.com forward slash JR the podcast. There's going to be some artwork there for Primal Gruntings. Also on my YouTube channel, Jonathan Ramtran the podcast on YouTube, something along those lines. Check it out. Um, Yeah. Nathan Evergreen. He works in um, graphite pencil, pencil crayons, Japanese uh, sushi pencils and stuff, you know. He's a real, um, real kind of funky uh, artist. And uh, he really definitely added to the project, popping it out with some of his cool artwork. So very grateful for that as well. So, that was Primal Gruntings. Stay tuned for many cuts from them uh, as the podcast winds on. Um, I'm putting them out in celebration of, um, you know, this new chapter in my life. Because, um, you know, to be honest, I'm afraid. Um, Whenever you make a big change... um, uh, you know, it can be challenging. It can be challenging to your sense of comfort. And, um, you know, as a comic, you want any stage time you can get, bottom line. And it goes against, you know, it goes against all my reason to just say, I have a standard of show that I want to do. I have a standard of what I accept. And anything below that, I cannot take. Because um, as a comic, we're gluttonous. We take whatever the fuck we can. We're whores, right? And, you know, I feel that fear. I feel that fear of, oh, what if, what if um, this is the wrong decision? What if I have to take this? I have to take that. But, like, in my gut, I know that, like, I've moved on. It's not even about... The entitlement of, oh, I shouldn't be here, I should be there. Or the 
arrogance or the laziness or the X, Y, and Z. It's purely about my gut. And my gut tells me, Jonathan, you're done. You're done doing these type of gigs. Until further notice, like I said, you know, I would love to return to the open mic scene, um, independent show scene. Like, I would love to return by request, like if I'm specifically requested by another comedian or something, or if um, things start turning around and I'm getting better gigs, and then I return by my own uh, desire to go poke my nose around and see what's going on. But, you know, I've been, I've been taking grenades in those trenches for too long, and it's like, I need a change. I need to step it up a notch. I need to challenge myself. And, you know, part, part of putting out these recordings is the celebration of um, something new, right? And uh, I feel like, in a way, these recordings are kind of tied to that to to um, to this phase of um, even though it's been a while, they're kind of tied to this mindset in a way. You know, they're kind of tied to the desperation. Yeah, because while there's a lot of rawness and realness in the recordings, and hey, let's face it, just a lot of um, you know bullshit. You know, uh, there's a lot tied in there that is. Um, it's tied into the world of desperation. There was such a desperation in me, you know? And today I'm more confident, you know? In my mind, in my heart, I'm always the desperate stage ham. But in my mind and in my execution, I gotta be cool as a fucking cucumber. And that's what I'm gunning for. But... On a personal note, feeling very uh, accomplished, yeah. As I mentioned earlier on previous recordings, I've been having a bit of a sugar rush problem, yeah. Like, part of being a recovering alcoholic is um, we're prone to sugar, sugar rushes. You know, we get, you know, hooked on sugar sometimes, right? Like, that's not to say that every recovering alcoholic has a sugar problem, but it's definitely a temptation. And um, I've been fucking going hard on the sugar lately. I have been, you know, I had. Um, I'm, I had been eating a lot of like nibs, Swedish fish, chocolate bars, dark chocolate bars and shit. And, you know, I had to take a break. I had to step it back a notch because generally speaking, you know, I eat well, I exercise, and um, some of the stress of... Um, Figuring out the next move, comedy-wise, I think has been weighing on me. Like, as I mentioned, uh, just kind of figuring out the next step. Because I was cutting out the open mics, wanting to know what I was going to do with my own show, Our Righteous Mic, like the comedy shows that I produce. So I, I had been having a lot of thoughts and a lot of, you could call it stress, in regards to my comedy lately. And... Um, so yeah, that's where the sugar fix came in, man. I was just knocking back fucking Twizzlers, uh, you know, whatever the fuck I get my hands on, right? And it was just getting to be enough's enough, Jonathan. Put it down. Like, you're acting like an idiot. So, um, and I never talk to myself in the third person. That's a sign of, um, you know, 
egotism and disillusionment, right? Or delusional thinking or whatever, right? So like, you know, I knew I was having a problem, you know? I was having like sugar deliriums, talking to myself in the third person. So I was like, I had to stop this bullshit, right? So, and if you talk to yourself in the third person, no judgment, doesn't mean anything. It's just, you know, something I said just now. But um, there it is. And I was getting kind of stupid about it. So lately I've been feeling very good because, you know, I'm eating healthy. I got celery stock in the fridge. Uh, I was making frittatas. If you don't know what a frittata is, that's, you know, you whip up a couple eggs, throw in some Parmesan cheese, different vegetables, whatever the fuck you want to put in it. Pretty healthy, right? Uh, so I was eating frittatas, celery stock, um, spinach salad, olives, you know, so like, you know, getting back to basics. So I'm very proud about that. Exercising. Well, I got to get new exercises, I find, I figure, because, you know, I'm getting kind of bored. I'm doing the same kind of exercises, blah, blah, blah. So I need to step it up a notch. I'm going to figure that out all in good time. I've been playing bass a lot, which is a good thing. As I mentioned there, listening to some of the recordings, Primal Gruntings, Adam Lewis on the drums, always an inspiration. So, you know, I've just been plugging away at that. That's my hobby, and um, just kind of keeping on, keeping on with that, feeling pretty proud, you know? Things are looking pretty good, feeling pretty good. And uh, before I get out of here, I just want to mention to you something real cute. Uh, Raccoons. Well, that's in the eye of the beholder. They're an anomaly, you know? Raccoons. Are they cute? No, they're cute. Are they dangerous? No, they're dangerous. No, they're not dangerous. What? Do they bite? Don't they bite? You know, they're, they're crazy little fucking things, right? And, you know, I was walking down the street the other day, and, you know, I'm just kind of minding my own business, and I look up in a tree, and there's a raccoon just staring at me, right? And I fucking, I let out a scream, right? I was like, <coughs> like, it fucking startled me, right? Like, and then he he kind of like just kind of gave me this kind of like he looked kind of sad, like depressed. I think it's because everyone calls them coons. They got like that black syndrome thing going on, right? Like leave the little coon alone, right? Like I think we related on that level or something. I don't know. He was staring deep into my eyes. And they have such emotion in their eyes, man. Have you ever looked in the eye of a raccoon? They feel so much, man. And um, they're very cute little creatures too. Pretty smart. One time I was on a roof, it's neither here nor there, I was up on a roof, and I saw a family of raccoons, coons as they call them, right? And by the way, a coon's age is not racial, it's referring to like um, the lifespan of a coon, a raccoon, apparently. I was at church one time and this old geezer got to babbling, right? And he goes, I haven't done that in a coon's age. And his wife pipes up. Coon's age referring to a raccoon, of course. <laughs> you know, the PC police, you know, and uh, thank God, though, because I would have killed him, right? I would have just punched him right in his old face. But um, you know how it is. But anyways, I was up on a roof and I saw, like, um, this coon family. Mama coon, three baby coons. And, um, you know, Mama coon, she's walking in the front and um, there's two baby raccoons. They're playing with each other. And then there's baby, baby raccoon. He's by himself, right? He's eating a piece of garbage, licking a needle, whatever he's doing, right? 
So Mama Coon turns around. She does a head count. She counts the two coons, right? She goes, <gasps> her head starts swiveling around all frantically, right? <laughs> then she sees Baby Coon. He's over there lollygagging, right? She lets out a squeak. <clears throat> Baby Coon comes running over, right? I'm like, wow, these are some smart-ass coons, you know? Raccoons? It's your old chuckle buddy. Guess who? Jonathan James Ramtran. Reporting live for duty on this magnificent August 14th in the year of our Lord, 2019. Primal Gruntings was a very fun, inspiring uh, minute in my life. Going forward, gonna keep on with the... uh, with the same drive, with the same passion. Learned a lot from my uh, co-creator there, Adam Lewis. Thankful for the artwork by my buddy, Nathan Evergreen. And if you want any more information on that, if you have any comments, queries, or concerns on that, hit me up, jr.thepodcast at gmail.com. Till next time, ladies and gentlemen, you live it, you love it, you realize it. Peace.